Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creation Podcast, the show where we discuss the science that confirms scripture. I'm your host, Trey, and I have with me Dr. Brian Thomas, paleobiochemist. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Thomas. Thanks, Trey, for having me. Of course. Absolutely. We love having you on here. So, uh, And we also love your tie. It's very awesome, very colorful. It's literally from, I don't know, 1967. It's canvas and... <laughs> You know, why not? Well, good. It's it's very stylish. <laughs> for for fifty five years ago, we won't something. talk about it. It was just yesterday. Yeah. All right. So today we're going to talk about something that's kind of in the creation lexicon uh, has been for a while, uh, a, a talking point that we have. But this is something that you know a lot about. You're very passionate about, and we're going to be talking about behemoth. Okay. Uh, and so this is. This is important uh, in the grand scheme of things. We're not just talking about it just to talk about it. Uh, but this is important because I think it points to like how true scripture is, how it can be trusted, even in the book of Job. Uh, why do you think that this is an important topic? Well, how about this? I'll tell you a story. Okay. We'll just start with a story. Uh, a friend of mine was on a beach uh, on a vacation. He was working in Spain. He's from, I think, Holland or something. So he, he learned to speak Spanish and some, some uh, Spanish speaking uh, Christians were out on the beach doing beach ministry or beach witnessing. And they encountered him on the beach and they said, hey, you know, they started a conversation and one of the opening lines other than, hey, who are you? Was, did you know that the Bible has a description of a dinosaur in it? And now my friend's an atheist materialist just like his parents, just like the entire culture is, mm -hmm. um, secularist all the way. And he, but he's but he had not heard that, and so he's like, no, I did not know that there was a dinosaur described in the Bible. Like he didn't know anything about the Bible, right? Um, because why look into it? Because it's all a bunch of myths, anyways. So everyone else dis dismisses it. So did he. And but he got curious, and um, and he said, what? He said, the guy witnessing said, well, we're having a Bible study, and. You're invited. So he just came to the Bible study and they did it. They did a little, you know, they used, they used the Job chapter 40 behemoth as a description of a dinosaur. And they talked about it in terms of it being a dinosaur, like in Job. And of course the implications, if that's even possible or true or at all, that just, that flies in the face of the whole secular history. If, you know, because you because dinosaurs died out 65 million, 66 now million years ago, long before humans ever evolved. So you can't have you know humans and dinosaurs together, and so that's the that's the mindset that my friend had. But anyway, that was his first exposure to the Bible, and he was he just became curious. He's like, what what are the is it possible that these guys could be right? In any way, is it possible in any way these guys could be right that, that what they just described to me? So he actually started to read the Bible for himself for the first time. And he got to the parts that talk about sin. And he said, yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> he knows his own heart. Right. And he, uh, so he's reading the Bible and he, and he got to the part that talks about a Savior and how Jesus came to save us from our sins. And so he trusted Christ and became a Christian. Um, all that to say this, when people stand on the authority of the Word of God and treat the Word of God as though it's telling us correct information, 
it's a win. Mm -hmm. It's a win because it is telling us correct information. But if we who represent the Bible and Christianity um, tell the world, well, you can believe parts of it, but not these other parts. Well, you're just telling them that they can pick and choose whatever for whatever reason. And in effect, that's telling them that none of it really, really has any impact right. or any authority. If you can just pick and choose, then what's to say, oh, I pick yep. the parts about the dinosaurs, but I don't believe any of the stuff about Jesus, you know? Yeah, and so it becomes completely subjective right. and completely arbitrary at that okay. point. And so it loses its meaning. Mm -hmm. And that's, so what we want to do today, I think, at least what I'd like to do is get back to the idea that, yeah, maybe this behemoth was a real creature, a real creature, because it's spoken of in terms of it being a real creature. Right. And so, you know, if, if we're going to treat God's word as though it's something close to God's word, <laughs> and with that authority, then we need to see if, um, if there's some way to, some way to, uh, to align um, what the words say there in Job uh, with what we know from science. Okay. Uh, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll put up the text of the scripture that we're, we're talking about. And of course, behemoth is mentioned in Job 40, as you mentioned. Uh, I have here Job 40, 15 through 24, um, which is a pretty big description. Um, and now when I read in my Bible, even in the notes. The nearly inspired version? No, 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 no. Oh, no. no actually, I my, my personal study Bible, I hope this doesn't get me in trouble. I use an ESV, uh, and the study notes say things like, oh, maybe this was an elephant or something like that. So clearly there's some sort of disconnect. If you're saying, oh, this is a dinosaur, you know, and then other people are saying this is an elephant or something like that, then clearly we've got some sort of disconnect. So I'd like to dig into that, why there is a disconnect. Um, so let's let's look at the text. What do we see? Yeah, sure, let's do that. So I'm privileged to have some colleagues um, and we are, um, by the time this podcast comes out, our, our new paper on Behemoth, um, it's gonna be published in the, in the journal Biblioteca Sacra. So that's exciting. What does that mean? Bibliotheca Sacra. That's the name of the journal. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, so look for that. Look for the behemoth paper there. Okay. And one of my colleagues is a Hebraist. And what he has done is gone through carefully um, and looked at every word in the passage and has offered a, a, a fresh translation of it. So I'm just going to go through it. And you, you'll recognize it. It sounds quite similar to, to all the other English mm -hmm. translations. There's subtle differences, but but the main gist comes comes through. Right. Here's the thing, though, that we probably ought to talk about before moving moving forward. The text, as we will see, treats this animal as though it's a real animal. Okay? But the, the description of this animal does not exactly match any living animal. Okay. So, there's a dilemma, right? Right. There's an apparent dilemma. It's like, if the text is describing an an actual animal, but there is no actual animal, what do we do with the text? Is the Bible wrong? Is the Bible wrong? Mm -hmm. And so many uh, interpreters have gone to the Bible and said, well, the Bible's the problem because this is how this is how the modernist interpretive philosophy trends. Mm -hmm. It says, well, the Bible must be wrong somehow. So they say, well, this part's got to be mythological. So it's myth. And then they just talk about how it's myth. Now, there's a problem with that. Right. So 
Yes, it solves the problem of, of having no actual animal to match the description, problem solved, but it creates more problems in that process by claiming that it's myth. The biggest problem that I can see is that uh, the whole point of the passage is God is trying to make a point to Job and to us who read this. And that is, look how big this creature is. I'm even bigger. Now, if you don't have a big creature... <laughs> it doesn't make much sense, does it? Then it's meaningless. Yeah. Right? So you have to have a big creature in order for God to say, I'm even bigger than this big creature. Yeah. Okay. So so I don't I don't appreciate the um, the myth interpretation. Sure. So I, I do appreciate those Bible study note offerings that say, maybe it's a hippopotamus, maybe it's an elephant, because at least there are some people say crocodile, even for, for behemoth and for... Leviathan, but at least what they're doing is they're tr is they're trying to trying to make even though it doesn't exactly match the anatomy or the habits that we'll see, at least they're treating it as though it's a real creature. Yeah, at least so that's a step in giving the right credence direction. to the Bible at least. Yeah. Yes, that's a high higher view of scripture. Okay. And so what I'm saying is, if we have if we if we put a dinosaur in place of uh, the behemoth, which is just a transliteration of the Hebrew behemoth. And so, since we don't know an, an, the name of a modern animal to translate it, we just repeat the sounds that the, that the original text would have made. Okay, behemoth. So here it goes. Uh, verse 15, look at behemoth which I made with you. So I made with you, we, we interpret that as meaning um, God made this creature along with mankind on day six. Hey, Correct. That's right. It's almost like you work at the Institute for Creation. Hey, that was an research. unexpected pop quiz. I'm glad I got Boom, it right. Boom, nailed it. Uh, so behemoth, whatever it is, is an animal made on day six, made with you. It also says look at, and a lot of translations behold, mm -hmm. which means to look at. Um, and so either the thing is right there in front of them so that they're looking at it right now, which seems a little... Um, far-fetched maybe or we're just looking at it in, ter in in metaphorical terms like consider yeah look at it in your mind in which case he had seen it physically so whatever this whether he's looking at it now or whether he had looked at it before now the moment that God's addressing him out of the whirlwind um, either way Job is familiar with an actual animal God's drawing attention it implies that it's real it implies that it's real Okay, he consumes grass like an ox. So it's an herbivore. Okay. okay? It's clue one. It's got to be an herbivore. Uh, so alligators are out. Bye-bye. Uh, look at his strength in its loins. Loins. So the word that he's translating um, loins is like muscles and sinews or connective tissues around the hips. So we're talking about it's... Um, the hips are central to this creature's mode of locomotion, and the hips are the pinnacle of, and it may even be that the hips are the, the highest part of the creature, mm. uh, depending on its particular stance in any given moment. Anyway, so, lo so loins, it's like muscles that connect from the hip to the leg, muscles that connect from the hip to the tail, muscles that connect from the hip to the spine, to the thorax. So all of these connections from the belly to the to the back legs, and so there's there's a whole lot of connectivity there. According to this, uh, look at his look at its strength and its 
loins, verse uh, 16. So we talk about the verses in terms of A and B. Each verse has two lines. Mm-hmm. 16A is a line, look at it, strengthen its loins, verse 16B, and vigor in the sinews of its stomach. So it's a parallel, it's using parallelism. Right. Uh, so it's it's drawing our attention to how big and thick um, the the loins the loins are and the stomach muscles and uh, muscles connecting to the tail because he it right along the, those same lines he says in 17a its tail hangs like a cedar of course this is the diagnostic feature that eliminates hippopotamus and so yeah i went to the zoo to look at hippopotamus tails and it's just this little flap like thing <laughs> and uh a baby cedar no <laughs> it doesn't even it's like a flat <laughs> flap yeah it, and um yeah it doesn't look like a tree it doesn't swing like a tree nothing about it is like a cedar and i imagine maybe just from from my knowledge i think of like the cedars of lebanon and stuff like that so we're not talking like cedars of texas we're talking probably big thick Cedars. So we investigated cedars of Lebanon for our paper, mm. and we found that the um, they they could have reached they did reach uh, two and a half uh, meters in, in diameter. Wow! So we're talking what like eight feet? Yeah, that's a big tree. And it turns out that reconstructions of sauropod tails at the thickest at the base of the tail are also two and a half meters thick. Um, so that matches. So cedar of Lebanon, I think, is what's in view. Something like that. Okay. Uh, Didn't mean to jump ahead if I did. Sorry. Big old. Tr- <laughs> no, that was perfect. Yeah. Perfect segue. So, and these uh, sauropod tails. And when I say sauropod, I'm really leaning toward um, Diplodocus or a Diplodocid. So the Diplodocus is like one species or genus rather. Um, but and I've got it here. I bought I bought my model of it from the Museum of the Rockies. Isn't he cute? But you can see Very how nice. long this tail is. Yeah. In, and it's anatomically, you know, proportionate. But it's a uh, forty plus feet long. Wow. This tail and tons of little teeny tiny tail vertebrae that just it just keeps on tapering and tapering and tapering. And is that you? This next is to him? The, oh, I have <laughs> a little Lego man for scale uh, to show how, roughly. He's actually bigger. Than, than to scale the, yeah. than a human would be but okay. but pretty close uh so yeah so you look at an elephant tail it's not like a tree mm-hmm. but this guy this guy definitely has tail like a tree but he also has the ability to uh, so uh, the ability to rear up and use this first third of his tail as a third leg and he would he would set it down on the ground and use it as a tripod mm. so that he could rear up his four legs and his neck, um, in, in and head. So and use a lot of those uh, that hip strength, that loin strength. Right, yeah. and so um, you have to have the hip and loin because the whole it's like a giant lever or fulcrum, and so the hips were able were so strong that it could have lifted, you know, been the balance point for it lifting its the whole front <laughs> half of its body right there on those strong hips mm. so vigor in the sinews of his stomach 17 its tail hangs like a cedar 17b the sinews of its thighs are intertwined again calling attention to this connectivity this t- tissue musculature that goes from thighs to tail now mm-hmm. and so 
It's been wonderful to see the products of good science, good descriptive science from my colleagues in the world of paleontology. And they're looking at places on the bones that they've excavated where the muscles would have attached. Okay, so we know that there's muscles that would have attached from the upper thigh to the tail. And caudofemoral muscle just means tail to femur. And that's the muscle that it's talking about. And in fact, its tail hangs like a cedar. What does a cedar do in the wind? Swings, sways. It sways. And so every step this creature took, if it's just walking across land, its tail would have counterbalanced its steps. Mm. And the, the, the leg is actually connected to the tail. So there's a slight sway uh, as though a cedar is hanging in the breeze. So the more we looked at it over the years, the more a closer a match, the more it matched what we're thinking of in terms of not just sauropods in general, but that diplodocids in Dip, particular. Diplodocids. Yeah. So yeah. the reason I say that is because, you know, the brachiosaur, mm-hmm. so the brachiosaur is jacked up in the front. So these are four-legged, for those who can't see my model, on because you're not watching it on YouTube. You should watch just, it on YouTube. Yeah, but you're just listening to it, which is great. Appreciate it. So a sauropod is a dinosaur with long tail, long neck, four feet, four legs. Unlike other dinosaurs, sauropods had locking knees so that it didn't have to use any muscle energy to maintain a standing position. Mm-hmm. So its knees locked out. All Everything is integrated, perfectly designed in, the, in these anatomies. It's just wonderful. But the brachiosaurs had tall shoulders. So if God was talking about that sauropod, he would have said, look at the shoulders, how tall they are. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's talking about the hips. Gotcha. The hips, highest part of the body, or, or nearly so. And, and the brachiosaur, okay, in Jurassic Park, 19, 1993, Sonny. I was... Uh, you were alive? I was... I was born in 91, so yeah, oh, I was born, wow. I was like two years old. Wow. But did you ever go back and watch the? Oh yeah, I saw the originals for sure. I yeah. loved them and oh, okay. they inundated me with evolutionary thought process before Ooh, I, uh, uh. before I beat that out of myself. I was just like, no, can't have that. Can't have the evolution. Yeah, no. Okay. Uh, well, good for you because evolution really confronts the Bible yeah. and challenges all the core doctrines that that God tells us about creation, including creating according to kinds and creating recently and created by the power of God instead of the power of nature. Mm-hmm. So way to go, Trey. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, in that movie, they have a brachiosaur uh, lift up its front legs mm-hmm. and it never was able to do that. But the but the, diplo, the diplodocus could. Oh, okay, gotcha. So, anyway. I remember that scene. It's like a big cow. That's what they said. Because like they were eating, big. eating, yeah. Speaking of big, the, these these sauropods were the, the largest land creatures that God ever made. Okay. And it's just not even, there's no close second. It's an order of magnitude larger, both in size and in weight, than elephants. And uh, that's another reason that we're thinking, you know, if God is saying, look how big this is, but I'm bigger, why would he not point to the biggest land creature that he made? Right. And that's another reason why we're thinking about this. Uh, his bones are tubes of bronze, verse 18b. Its bones are like a rod of iron. So we have both tubes and bars. So tubes are hollow, the bars are solid. Its leg bones were solid, but its vertebrae were hollow, had lots of air spaces called, mm-hmm. called pneumaticity. Uh, and the reason being 
saving weight. Right. Um, in fact, the, the neck vertebrae from the, um, the body core and, and going out toward the head, they had more and more pneumaticity uh, and, and more and more holes in those bones. Mm-hmm. So that right, right before its tiny little head, um, which is also a weight-saving feature, uh, just having a tiny brain there, and a lot of brain is in the hip, um, the, the density of its, of its neck vertebrae out toward the head approached that of styrofoam. So it's like foam, lightweight, foam yeah. way out there. And that's part of the engineering that God, um, through the Lord Jesus, our creator. Imagine if it was too much, like if it was heavy, it would be difficult to hold it up, you know. Uh, exactly. Uh, all the time. Exactly. I mean, it's like the, so it's, it's, it's a cantilevered boom is the engineering problem that has to be solved. So a boom is, a, is an arm that sticks straight out. And so how are you going to stabilize that thing? And so a cantilever is like you attach a cable to one end and then you, you strap that cable up to a, to a triangular support. And, and these had that okay. in their vertebrae. Oh, engineering. Engineering, yeah. exactly. But this one's a mobile cantilevered a boom. And so that's all, that engineering was all solved mm-hmm. by the Lord Jesus who made, it, who made the boom itself lightweight. I mean, imagine an airplane wing, which is a boom, um, and made it out of, you know, what do they make out of? I don't know. It's, it's aluminum. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I, I don't know anything about airplanes. <laughs> yeah, it's a, but they don't use a cinder, cinder blocks. Uh, right, right. You know, or I mean, that makes sense. Concrete. So, yeah, they don't use that. Anyway, so we want to credit the Lord for, for his ingenious creation. Right. In putting both bars in the legs and and hollow tubes like but with hollow spaces inside the bones and it's described both ways so um, that may be a match to um, from the text to a sauropod if mm-hmm. that makes any sense absolutely okay uh, verse 19 verse 19a uh, it is the pinnacle of the ways of God now this is the middle verse so if we treat this passage as a chiasm or having chiastic structure which is a typical Hebrew structure um then this is the central verse. He's the pinnacle of the ways of God. And so far, there's been an introduction, behold behemoth, which I made alongside you. And then there's been anatomy, anatomy, anatomy. And now it's the pinnacle of the ways of God. Its maker approaches its sword. Now we have retranslated that to mean its sword. Most translations say his, his sword. sword. Yeah. Um, you can read about why we did that um, in, our, in our paper. Indeed, mountains bring produce to it. Verse 20, every creature in the field plays there. Um, now he's talking about the environment. So it's introduction, anatomy, main point, and now environment, and we'll find the conclusion Okay. Um, in there. So what is it about this creature's environment? And by the way, we can infer some environments of sauropods uh, from the fossils that were buried alongside these creatures. Right. And we're, we're going to find more matches between the fossils, not just the anatomy, but also other creatures. Indeed, um, mountains bring produce to it, and every creature the field p- plays there. Under the lotuses, it lies. So the lotus is a marsh plant. So this is a wetlands-type creature, and that really does match what you know, the, the kinds of plants we find fossilized alongside um, sauropod dinosaurs. Now, in the introduction, it said he eats grass like an ox. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So it was interesting to see sauropod fossilized poo that had grass remnants in the poo. Coprolite? Is that what it's called? Coprolite? I don't know. Coprolite? Yeah. Sure. I've already used a lot of big words, so I'm trying to like sponge those out (laughs) for the rest of the episode. But if if the host wants to throw them in, you are more than welcome. I know because uh, we sell some fossilized coprolite here at the ICR Discovery Center. Well, we don't sell the uh, sauropod ones because they're way too big. They're like the size of a commode. Uh, (laughs) So anyway, in India, uh, they found, uh, oh, it's been about 20 years ago now, but they found grass. So, So they did eat grass and they lived among the reeds and marsh, verse 21. Uh, the lotuses protected shadow, verse 22. The willows, these are these are uh, trees that require a lot of water. Mm-hmm. So it's living in or near water. It's a wetlands creature. When the river rages, it is not alarmed. In other words, this creature is so big that when the river rages, it's just like, yeah. Doesn't no, bother him at all. No big deal. And, and certainly this creature would have been the one I would pick mm-hmm. of all the creatures God made. But what this does <laughs> is it is it forces a radical rewrite of how we interpret the fossils. Because this is Jurassic, and that's supposed to be over 100 million years ago. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, no, it's the age is wrong. Because A, it's in the Bible. Here we have behemoth in the Bible. And B, if, if it was dead way back then, then that puts death before sin. Yeah. But if this is instead a flood fossil, if, it, if these sauropods were drowned in Noah's flood, then that puts death after sin. Mm-hmm. And it means, it means that these were, these could, some of these could have survived the flood, maybe on the ark in the form of juveniles, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe, uh, maybe along with the fish outside the ark. I know we, we see that it's got legs and walked on land. Um, so typically we say that it, the juveniles would have, would have been, been on. on the ark. In other words, the ju- as big as they were, 120 feet long, they didn't start that way. They yeah. all started, I mean, they hatched from eggs, right? Yeah, yeah, and those eggs were no bigger than a football. Yeah. So the juveniles would have been uh, pretty, pretty hungry, yeah. voracious eaters. But um, you know, you, you could get a small one, 10 or 20 feet long, it would have fit on Noah's Ark, no problem. So that means it would survive the flood, mm-hmm. and then it would be alive, hundreds, several hundred years after the flood, when Job was, was on Earth. Yeah. Hold on, before yes. we continue. Yes. Okay, so I'm gonna interrupt you right now Do it. because it's time for our random science question of the day. All right, so we've been talking about behemoth. I wanna talk about another reptile for just a few minutes. I wanna get your thoughts on this. Um, so we read in the book of Genesis that the serpent spoke to Eve. I wanna get your thoughts on this serpent speaking to Eve. Uh, I, what, what does that mean theologically, physically? Uh, I'm, I, I've heard people say, well, uh, in the Garden of Eden, animals just were able to speak. And I'm like, ah. So uh, you, as a scientist and as a creationist and a, and a believer and someone that I trust, I'm going to take your word for whatever you're about to say. Uh, <laughs> what is your opinion here? This was. This is not scripted. You, you didn't. You didn't tell me that you're going to ask me this, and so I don't know what. What am I going to say? No, you'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> I always do. Right? Yeah. Uh, so Revelation, I think it's twelve. 
and again in 22, maybe, they identify the serpent. It says, and the devil, that serpent of old, is going to deceive the nations. It's just literally the devil. So how can the devil talk with Eve in the same way angels talk with Mary? Mm-hmm. So that's it. So, so it, was, it was it wasn't some some random lizard that was just like I think it I think the word serpent in that context is more like when we say that guy's a slimy snake. Mm-hmm. You know, use serpent. That's more of a derogatory um, term than an than a uh, biological anatomical term. I mean, uh, didn't uh, Jesus say you brood of vipers to the Pharisees? He did. Yeah. yeah. Similar line. Okay. Yeah, but but they didn't have literal forked tongues. It, true. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Or scaly skin, I don't think. <laughs> okay, so there's our answer. That's, you, you, you I'm just going it. with what the Bible, you know, let Scripture interpret Scripture. So Revelation 12 tells us, I think, exactly uh, the answer to that one. Okay. Well, thank you for bearing with my random science question of the day. Well, thank you for uh, spicing it up. Yeah. Going through this text is a little bit dry today, <laughs> isn't it? No, yeah, we need good. you to we need you to, to color it up here. Okay, let us continue. Can we? Shall yes. we? Are we about done? I think we are. Yeah, we're pretty close. When the river rages, it's not alarmed. Verse 23 of Job chapter 40, it is confident even if the Jordan bursts forth against its mouth. Now, this is apparently a time when the Jordan, because now it's a trickle. Right. Um, and in fact, the whole area is not wetlands, but it used to be. It now it's be. desert, desertish. It's totally desert. Yeah. Right. So when was it wetlands? Well, during the Ice Age. Right. So we have a whole Yeah, we've, we've got another podcast yeah, another on that. podcast <laughs> on that, yeah. So during the Ice Age, um, the, the Middle East was tropical. And you read throughout the scripture and God, God says, you know what, I'm going to send a famine because you guys are so bad. Um, and um, so he sends famine and famine and famine in the Middle East. So it's dry today. And he even promised. He, you got, he, he promised, for example, um, to the Egyptians, you guys are so boastful and proud and arrogant, you think you're the bomb. That's what he said. This is my translation. The, uh, the Dr. Tom's the Brian, version. The Brian version. You guys yeah. think you're the bomb, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to dry you all up. And, and so, so the people are going to say, oh, they're going to look at the ruins. And that's exactly what we do today. We're fulfilling God's predictions whenever we go to the Middle East and we look at ruins of great uh, civilizations. Mm. Um, so anyway, that's what happened in the Middle East. And I think that the behemoth's habitat dried up literally. And that's part of the reason that not just this particular region in the, in the Jordan River Valley, um, uh, the creatures there went went bye-bye or extirpated from that region. Mm-hmm. I think also um, from all kinds of other places around the equator. Okay, so there's that. God is speaking to Job in the context that matches what we know from the archaeology of the Middle East having been wet right. during the Ice Age. Just further confirmation. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, verse 24, can they take it in its eyes with snares? He pierces its nose. Uh, the ending being meaning there, can people just go and, and snare it and grab it? Which we do with elephants. Yes. Yeah. And crocodiles. And well, one reason we think that that we could not, it's, it's, this is implicit and not, definitely not explicit, and I would not, you know, endorse this as like, if you don't believe this, then you're a heretic or anything <laughs> like that. But there's a possible implication. So, so um, 
paleontologists have reconstructed this tail to, um, in, in terms of a whip. And so they've built reconstructed models of it. And it, it's possible that this thing could have used its tail as a whip, um, in which case it would have had a, what we call a sacrificial skin tag at the end of the, so you have the last vertebra, then you've got connective tissue, then it grows this bit of skin at the end. Just like the, when you use a bullwhip, the last bit of leather frays mm. because it, it it's going so fast. Right. Um, in fact, it, it this tail would have been cracked at the tip of it, if it was a skin tag, would have cracked at um, faster than the speed of sound. Mm. So it would have broken the sound barrier and you would hear it crack. So when we say um, uh, these, these other animals were... Um, are happy being around it, it's possible that you couldn't approach this thing. You couldn't get around the vicinity because it would just turn its body and whip its tail. Mm. And then it's possible that its, its sword in the text is a reference to the, the, the cutting potential for that tail. And if you're, so all these other animals that play around it would have been animals that would have been protected from predators by this sauropod's tail. Gotcha. Okay, so that's a picture that I'm just sort of reading a lot in, right, <laughs> in between right. the lines possibility possibilities yeah. but we do mention it in our paper so sure. you can you can uh, look at it when it when it comes in print so for these reasons we think behemoth was a was a real creature um diplodocus diplodocus yeah. okay mm -hmm. yep yep right there there's there's the diplodocus there he is there's behemoth it's my favorite dinosaur. <laughs> it's a pretty cool one, and it's in scripture. It's a literal, literal creature, not mythology, nothing. So, and and it may be that some um, new discovery from the fossils comes out and becomes a better match. Right. Uh, but right now, we're we're confident the best match from fossils is something like a Diplodocus, and and the more we look at the text, the more the more matching features we find between the anatomy and the environment that this creature lived in mm -hmm. uh, before the flood. We, you know, we, so we think that's a pre-flood world, animals that right. were buried. And, but would, it, it would have lived, having survived the flood, its descendants would have lived in similar environments, right. which would be uh, wetlands in this case. And then we add to that some of the legends, you know, some of the carvings, th some of the depictions throughout human history of sauropod lookalikes. We have those. And so we, it's not just the Bible that's talking about a sauropod lookalike after the flood. It's other artifacts. It's other written. And what do they describe it? Living in swamps, living absolutely. in wetlands. And, how and they we do have an episode on that with you, yes. me and you, yes, talking about that. Yay, perfect. <laughs> so Should we put a link to it? We will. We'll Yay. link to that. Where did all the dragons go? That's the one. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, uh, yeah. Uh, any closing thoughts uh, before we call it quits today? First and foremost, I hope that this episode does for someone what the beach witnessing guy in Spain did for my friend, and that is get him to investigate the Bible. Get him, get his nose in the Bible, get him to read it, study, consider it, because it's not just an it. It's not just uh, you know some sort of a dry, stale document. The Word of God is alive and active, and it tells us what we need to know about where we came from and where we're going. And that's really what I hope. I hope that, that, people, that the people who listen to this don't just dismiss it 
easily. Mm -hmm. Some, a lot of people will, of course, uh, because our sin nature says, I don't want a God in my life. Okay. I want to do what I want. But this God who we shake our fist at and hold at, at arm's length because of our sin, this, this is, this God is pursuing us mm -hmm. just like he pursued Job and he wanted a deeper relationship with Job. The God of the universe wants to know Job better and wants to know Job's friends better. That's why he told him in chapter 42 at the end of the book, he told his friends, you guys have not spoken of me the truth like my servant Job has. Mm -hmm. So you better ask Job to pray for you and he'll pray for you. And so Job prayed for them, <laughs> and, you know, and can you imagine them seeing God, them hearing this whole spiel, the speech that God gave to I'd Job? I'd be terrified. Terrified, you know, but that's God reaching out, not just to Job, but to Job's friends mm -hmm. who weren't even speaking the truth. We're like Job's friends. We don't speak the truth. You know, when's the last time you lied? I've never, I'm just You've kidding. Never lied. <laughs> never See, lied. that's a lie right there. That so is you, a lie. Right there. <laughs> so. You caught me off guard. I'm sorry. No, yeah, so uh, it's true. Is, he is pursuing us. He's yeah. pursuing, he wants relationship with us. And uh, so let's, let's get on board with what God is trying to say to us. Absolutely. Let's seek him out because he's trying to seek us out. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for uh, being on here and talking about your favorite dinosaur. Uh, it's, it's great to have you on. And, uh, and to all of our listeners and viewers, thank you so much for uh, watching and make sure to like, subscribe and share. Uh, make sure to share this with your friends and families. Uh, this is an excellent episode. If you ha know anyone who has questions about how science and scripture align, uh, maybe who believe that dinosaurs went extinct millions of years ago, this is a perfect episode to share with those people. And so uh, we hope that you do. And we'll see you next time on the Creation Podcast.